Hey everybody, welcome to episode 90 of the podcast. Today we're speaking with Kelsey Miller. She is the author of Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life, and the senior features writer at Refinery29, the leading digital lifestyle brand for women. She began her career in the film production industry before transitioning to full-time writing, joining Refinery29 in 2012. Soon after, she created the Anti-Diet Project, one of the website's most popular franchises. Kelsey specializes in first-person essays, cultural commentary, humor writing, fitness, food, body image advice, and feminist issues. In the last three years, she was named one of the Huffington Post Body Image Heroes and took top honors at both the Fashion Monitor Journalism Awards and the Digiday, I think that's how you say it, Digiday, Digiday, Publishing Awards. Her work has been featured in Time, XO Jane, Women's Health, and more. She has been featured on Good Morning America, HuffPost Live, and MSNBC. Kelsey graduated from Boston University with a BS in film and television and lives in Brooklyn, New York. Kelsey Miller, this book, Big Girl, everyone, please get a copy. Please get a copy. You will laugh, you will not cry, but you will definitely resonate with some things actually you may cry you may cry when you read this book because it is very um eye-opening and relatable even if you don't have the same struggles as Kelsey has had like I haven't had the binging struggles but I relate to a lot of the stuff that she has gone over so definitely pick up this book you're gonna love this episode before we head over here is the review of the week this comes from ddg She says, great content with five stars. I love this show for a few reasons. The first is for the content, fresh and interesting and relatable. It's nice to hear someone discuss things that are universal but difficult. And especially because Maddie is younger, like me, she comes off as relatable in many ways. I enjoy hearing Maddie's change and grow growth. It's very inspiring. This podcast is also easy to listen to and she hosts unique guests. Thank you, DDG. I know you're going to love this episode because it is very relatable, like I was just saying. So thank you so much for that um, amazing review. Everyone also, so you know, my book is out. Confessions of a Fitness Model is out in Amazon. Hopefully many of you, if not all of you, are part of the free promo and you were able to get a copy, uh, a Kindle copy of the book last week. If you haven't yet, you can still go. I'll have the link to the book in the show notes for this, maddiemoon.com slash mbm90, and you can get the book. Um, I would love to get your thoughts, your feedback. So far, I've had amazing feedback on it. I'm so grateful for every single one of you that has read it. If you want to, you know, kind of give back, since I wrote this book, I would love if you would write a review on Amazon. It takes maybe one minute tops. It's super quick. Just write a review. That would mean so much to me because just like the same way the reviews on this podcast help my rank get higher, um, the reviews on the Amazon book help my rank get higher. And it has nothing to do with money because as you know, I don't make money from this podcast. Uh, the book, and I'm not sure how much it's going to be when this airs, just probably a couple bucks. Um, it's, you know, I did all, you know, thousands of people got this book just for free. So I didn't get any money on those thousands of people. It's just because I want this out. I just want this story out. So if you could write a review on the Amazon store, that would mean so much to me. Um, and while you're there, get Kelsey's book because it's so great. All right, let's head on over to the show. Welcome to the Mind Body Musings podcast. The show for everyone and anyone that is ready to break free from the dogmatic chains of the health and fitness industry and create their own life free from restrictions. Now, introducing your host, Madeline Moon 
a former fitness model gone sane, and the author of the popular self-love book, The Perfection Myth. If you dig the show and you're looking for more insight on how to stop food and exercise from controlling your life, check out her website, maddiemoon.com, and grab your free guide. If you're ready to end dieting once and for all, it's time you learn how to pursue real health instead. Enjoy the show. Everybody and welcome back to the podcast. I am here with the amazing Kelsey Miller. <laughs> She's the author of Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life, which I am so crazy about this book. If you have not read it, it's a mandatory reading. It, you have to read it. Um, and just so everyone knows, you know, last week we got to join Chloe in a coffee shop. And this week we get to join Kelsey in the Refinery29 office. So <laughs> what a privilege that is, right? It is so cool. So thank you for letting us join you inside of your awesome office. It is. It is my pleasure. I'm, I'm like holding my coat around my headphones a little bit to try and block out some of our cool open plan office chatter. <laughs> it's a very collaborative space. Yeah, I can imagine. So I, I'm just glad that, you know, we could have some time together and, and get this awesome interview out for, for the world. Woo. <laughs> so this book, let's just talk about this book for a second. Um, I love it. And what I just want to know, what inspired you to write this memoir, this story, and put it out there into the world? Um, somebody gave me a chance to do it. Um, no. Uh, I mean, that, that's a big part of it. When you get an opportunity uh, to, to write a book, as I did when my column, The Anti-Diet Project, kind of took off, I was like, yeah, I want to write a book, and I want to write a good one. It was one of those dreams that I think a lot of us have, but sort of feel like, how can... How could we actually possibly do that? And I've only really just gotten to the place where I feel like I actually have done it. Um, so yeah, when I when I had when I had this opportunity, I you know I'd already been writing about things like intuitive eating and body positivity and all these lessons I'd learned uh, along the way, and I knew there was this sort of other side of the story that I needed to get into, which is you know how I got into this mess in the first place, <laughs> and and what happened when I got out really, which was much more than just a change in the way that I ate and, and the way that I, you know, decided to think about my body and the way that I uh, moved and, and exercised and everything like that. You know, it, it's not, it's never just about the food, right? Um, or very rarely, I would imagine. It's about all these other things in your life. So I, I wanted to tell to tell that side of the story, how I, how I wandered into the sort of deep, dark wilderness of the dieting cycle and, and disordered eating and everything that sort of drove me deeper into that. And finally, um, how I got out and how everything became sort of strange and new and wonderful and more real after that. So everyone knows, why don't we talk about your background, your story and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm like many, many, many other women and men who've dealt with this and that I grew up, um, 
dieting from basically the time that I knew it was an option. You know, as, as long as I'd been aware of having a body, I'd had a sense of something being wrong with it. And I understood there was a connection to, to food. And, you know, I think the second you get that idea in your head, that's where it begins. And um, I did my, my first, I mean, I'd been, I'd been like restricting and, and hiding food, like probably from a from a super early age, probably before I can even remember, but um, I did my first formal diet at age eight, and that was really it. That I was off to the races because you know it really is like a drug in a lot of ways because you get this sort of rush and this high and there's all these promises and and you get them you know for like a second and then it all falls apart and then you just want to get back into that magical bubble again. And so most of my life was just trying to get back in that magic bubble um, and finding different ways in. And, you know, it, it was just a constant cycle of feeling like I'm a failure or I'm maybe maybe on my way to being not a failure, um, depending on whether or not I was on a diet or in between diets. And then I just hit a bottom when I was 29. I was in the middle of like a... Uh, <laughs> like a warrior workout or something like that. I was on a trip for work and I was like running through the woods and, you know, exercise can be cathartic and bring things up. And for me, it just sort of brought about this, you know, epiphany, which which almost felt like a panic attack, but like an epiphany attack, <laughs> if that makes sense. And I realized I was just done. I'd run out of the ability to do this, to live like this. And um, I... I I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. Um, this has been sort of the definitive cycle of my entire life thus far. Um, not only the dieting, but just like, you know, self-loathing and feeling sort of stuck and, and caught up in this inertia because I couldn't do anything or progress in my life until I'd reached, you know, uh, TK pounds in 30 days or something like that. And um, I, I was ready to find a new way out out of that and for me it turned out to be um intuitive eating to a large degree but also just i think a a, a decision on radical acceptance of self and the ability to just do that do that over and over and over again every day and really relearn so many things about the way that i treated my body you know i had to relearn exercise, I had to relearn food, I had to relearn looking in the mirror. And, um, you know, I decided to start this column at the same time because, as I said, you know, this is so many people's stories. So I decided to write the Anti-Diet Project along the way and I, you know, as expected, was not the only one who felt like a crazy person and who was desperately seeking for a way out of it but didn't know the way out. And I'd found my way out, so I, I felt like I had to share that. And I needed, you know, to write about it with other people also so that I felt like, you know, maybe there's a sense when you sort of deviate from the norm that, like, maybe you are crazy. Maybe this is just, like, a wild, manic moment. And I think by writing about it with a community of readers um, gave me a little bit of, of, of grounding and let me, it did sort of affirm the fact that I wasn't totally crazy for uh, quitting Weight Watchers and stuff like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And you wrote such a, it's a serious story, but you yeah. wrote it with such humor. And like, I just feel like it, it's so easy for 
people to write an account of their life and it be just as serious as it is and yeah. not include any humor. And I think, you know, I'm kind of lumping myself into that because I'm not a very funny writer, but I am a, <laughs> I'm a writer, but just not very funny. So when I write things, they're just very, this is how it was. It sucked, but this is how it was. And this is how it is. And it's great. You know, it's just like, plop, there it is. But when you write, it's just so funny. And I can relate to so many things that you talked about in the book. I know so many people can. I have clients that have been like, your book has been so helpful for them and that is such yeah it's such a great thing god that's so incredible to hear Mm -hmm. because you're right it is it's like incredibly serious business it's like it 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 can be the thing that defines your life and it can be the thing that wrecks your life or Mm -hmm. or controls you and you know it absolutely was for for me but I think I am sort of inclined to you know make a joke and stuff like that I mean which is not to say that I take it it all lightly which obviously I don't but I thought like I don't know Maybe it just made it easier for me to do that. And also sometimes there are just like, you look back on the ways that you have behaved and (laughs) it is funny. Mm -hmm. It is funny to see the way that I used to behave around bagels. I mean, it's like, what? What was, I I looked like a cartoon maniac or something. I looked like, you know, a wily coyote when I got around bagels. It was like, it is funny Mm -hmm. from a certain perspective. Yeah, totally. It it is humorous. And I think that's a gift to be able to see that and be able to see like, you know what, there is something funny with what was going on. And like, it doesn't have to be completely straight faced agony going backwards. And I'm assuming now when you think about the story that you've lived, you appreciate it because of what you've been able to create out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. I do. I mean, it's it's forced me, I think, to really do the work of you know the the only way out is through and and for me the only way out it was through you know writing this book mm-hmm. you know it, you have to sort of wander into the morass of your own uncomfortableness and your own very very painful um memories and stuff like that and i think Sure. I mean, you come out the other side and it's not as if everything is all better forever and ever amen. It's just um there is there is more perspective on it. There's something about put taking it outside of yourself and putting it on a piece of paper that that does help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think was the biggest struggle that you had when you were writing this book? Mm, probably the family stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you're writing about family, it's just, you know, a minefield. Um and I think anytime you're writing a book that involves other people. I mean, this is the thing about writing a memoir that you don't realize until you're doing it is that you really, really understand that your side of the story is probably different in maybe small or even big ways to then, then, um, sorry, than it is to the other people who were involved, who were there in the room with you. Um, you know, they have their own side of it and maybe they, they saw it totally differently and maybe they felt totally differently about it. And maybe they'd rather you not write about that mm-hmm. in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think for me was the, the concern over other people for sure. Um, and wanting to be fair uh, and, and also remain you know, fair to myself. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that because I really wanted to talk about this. Because as I was sure. reading your book, I was like, what did that conversation look like when you talked to those people or when they confronted you or when when it was just brought up because in my own story there are things that i that have happened that i think have contributed to the way my journey um and why i became so disordered with food and my body and i don't feel 
like it's safe to open up about those things because of the mm-hmm. backlash I could receive from said mm-hmm. members or some said uh, people. And I just am kind of like, I don't want to, I don't want to like cause any trouble. I think I can get the message across by saying all these other things, but it's so important to speak your truth because people need to hear that and know they're not alone. So again, I'm grateful that you were able to do that and you were able to just lay it all out there and like be honest because that's what people need the most. And how, yeah. how did that, how did that look after, after it was published? And let's be a little bit more specific about, um, your mom and maybe oh, sure. we can get into a few of the things that your mom had, you know, con- how she contributed to how you felt about your body. But first, before we get into that, okay. how did it, how did it look after you published this book and she read it and she saw all the things that how she affected your life? I mean, I'll be brutally honest with you. I, I don't know. I have not heard from her. Um, I, I have, I, she, I haven't heard from her. Um, she did send me um, flowers on my birthday, so I thought that was very nice. Um, but, and I think that's probably a sign that you know she's not gonna like murder me or something like that. But um, I have not heard from her since the day the book came out, which um, and she hadn't she hadn't read it then. Uh, she was very touched. She had like opened the page where I, I dedicate it to, um, my grandmother, her mother, and she was very touched by that. And we talked about that and we talked about how we were both sort of scared about her reading it. And, you know, she was, she was very supportive in that moment. And I, I give her a lot of credit for that, but, um, you know, I can't imagine this was a treat for her to read. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I gave her a heads up when I was writing the book. But, you know, what, there's only so much you can do. I mean, with, with people, other people in the book, you know, you can change their names, you can change details, and, and you can protect them in certain ways. Um, but when it comes to, you know, my mom and dad, it's very hard to make them anonymous. And, you know, I really had to decide what was, what was important to keep in and what just simply wasn't worth putting in because of how it would hurt and how it would possibly blow up, you know, what relationship I have with her, uh, now. And, um, you know, I, I kept in quite, quite a bit, but other things I didn't. And, you know, there are consequences to telling the truth. I agree that there, it's important to tell the truth and I don't regret it at at all, (sighs) but I do have to live with the consequences of that. And I'm, I'm not totally sure what they will be. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a little bit of limbo um, with that. Mm-hmm. And with other people in my family, you know, it's still it's still all sort of shaken out. I, I think that some people have quite openly rejected me and, and accused me of airing dirty laundry and told me that, you know, what I've done was hateful. And these are people who are my <laughs> relatives and um, my family. And then there are other people who have... Um, gotten mad and then gotten over it and then some people who have stuck by me and really championed me so it's it's a big mixed bag yeah wow and I'm sure those all those things are things that people reading this book don't think about like they probably just read this book and they're like enjoying the journey the ride learning so much about you but they don't know what's going on in your life right now from giving them that so you've made a huge sacrifice in a way for the world and for that like everyone I know is so grateful and I hope everyone hearing this can appreciate it even more what you've done for everyone. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very kind. I mean, my God, I, I certainly 
it has been enormous, helpfully, enormously beneficial to me. And and the idea that it could possibly, you know, make a dent in anybody else's, you know, mom issues <laughs> or or food issues or any of the other issues I, I get into in the book is is just I, I can't even find the words to say how grateful I am for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a couple times in your book, a a few things that I'd like to bring up. I won't do a whole bunch of spoiler alerts or anything, (laughs) but um, there's one scene you described in your book that you were in the car with your mom Mm -hmm. and you had been giving a nickname. You had been given a a nickname and you were really upset about it. You're crying to your mom (laughs) about it. Like, you know, all of us kids do whenever we get picked on in school. Um, But the way that your mom responded to it probably wasn't the way you had wanted her to respond, the way that would have been the most comforting. Can you tell us about that time? Sure. I mean, I've been given a name that was, this is like, it's so (laughs) silly to say out loud. I guess I'm going to say it. I'd like gone to a, um, like a a ranch getaway with my friend over the weekend and we'd been riding horses and the horse that I had written, (laughs) I'd written was named double Dutch bubble butt, which is like, (laughs) again, how can you be, it's so it's so funny and ridiculous. So anyway, I told kids at school that, and of course, it was like instantly my nickname, obviously, right? Because I was allegedly chubby, and um, and it was just so unbelievably humiliating. And I, you know, <laughs> cried in the car, and I was so embarrassed. And I mean, my and my mom, you know, I, I think she felt this was a moment. Yeah, she was like, oh, thank God, that just sucks. That sucks. And she expressed sympathy and stuff. And then she also just, you know, sort of switched into shoulder shaking mode where she said, you know, this isn't something you have no control over, right? This isn't, it's not as if you can't do something about it, right? You just, you know. About your body. Yeah, about your body. You know, yeah. You know, come on, kiddo. You just got to cut it with the junk and stuff like that. You know, it was like a you know, a picking up, picking yourself up by your bootstraps kind of moment. And I think she, she did, she probably was like, on, on the one hand, irritated with me being like, you know, quote unquote, overly dramatic, um, which, you know, I, I certainly was prone to do as a kid, but I was also like a hurt kid. And I think she probably thought this was, you know, the the right thing to do. I really, of course she thought she was helping. Of course your mom doesn't want to make you feel worse. Your mom wants to make it easier. And to her, that meant like, well, all right, come on. You can just, just stop, stop snacking, stop putting butter on things. I mean, this isn't, you know, isn't this sort of your, in your hands? And uh, so it felt, you know, it felt cold and it felt alarming but it also felt like that kind of slap in the face that wakes you up um and gets you you know to to snap out of it right that was that was a a popular refrain um growing up in my house was just snap out of it and um I I wanted that to a degree and I sought that out over and over and over again in my life that sort of horrifying chilling moment that makes you you know get up and quote you know try to do something about it (laughs) and for me that was always like finding the most you know best fastest newest most extreme way to lose weight Mm -hmm. and like to me when I hear that I think it sounds like you would internalize that and or okay I would internalize that and think that you know my purpose is to please other people because like in that instance Mm -hmm. it's really not 
about you changing your body so that other people stop calling you a nickname. It's that we have a problem with society of little kids thinking that they can call people nicknames and like giving them little kids have permission to comment on people's bodies. And I know we can't stop bullying in one day and it's like a huge issue that would take lots of time, but it's a lesson for parents to teach their kids not to make fun of kids instead of just like the kid changing their body so that they please all the other kids and they have no reason to give them a nickname. Oh, for sure. I mean, God, I I don't think, I think even now it's hard for me to, you know, understand that. I don't think I fully internalized that understand that, that message Mm -hmm. yet myself as a person who just turned, you know, 32. I think there is part of me that's just like, oh, I was asking for it simply by looking Uh, the way I did, you know? mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I cannot imagine how different it would have been had I actually really you know, understood on a bone deep level that it it wasn't me, but them, right. you know, that is a hard lesson to learn. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'm still learning that today. And it's, I think it's something that many of us are, are trying to work through. And, and it's great to be able to talk to your kids about that. Yeah, when they're young. Um, or, and so another thing is, when you did that one time when you were young, and you did lose weight, mm-hmm. a lot of weight so that you could try out for an acting part. Mm-hmm. Um, what did that feel like for you as a kid who lost a lot of weight and then got all this approval from your mom and your peers and everyone just like, oh my gosh, your body. And you're like, how old were you? Eight. Yeah, okay, eight. yeah, eight years old. <laughs> so how how did that feel for you to finally get your mom's approval over your size? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I ate this. I'm sorry. I was I was 11 at that for that particular uh, moment. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that that was for that, uh, the man when I was going to possibly get signed to a manager and oh my God, uh, it was the, (laughs) it was, it was so, I was so happy. I mean, it was not happy. Doesn't even quite describe it. I was just on another planet and it felt like everything they always said and everything I always believed about being like a thin, pretty girl was absolutely true. It, uh, it was affirmed left and right. I had all this attention, you know, I, I had become, you know, a different person socially at school. Uh, I, I had made my mother proud in a way that I'd never been able to, to make her proud before. It was like the one problem that everybody had with me had been solved and I was just being showered with reward, um, which made it, you know, all the more crushing when it, you know, that bubble burst as it always does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine being that young and starting to associate weight loss with, you know, admiration, feeling like glorified for your body. It was like I'd become, you know, a real girl. I really felt like I wasn't hu- human to a degree before I was just like, you know, a, a subcast, a person. And I didn't feel like... Um, yeah, I, it was like I'd, I'd become thin and therefore I'd become pretty and my suddenly my hair was better and because I wore smaller clothes, my clothes were better and, you know, I had I had confidence to talk to people and it was just like, it was all true. <laughs> the rumors were all true. Um, but, you know, it, it, that which is why it took me, you know, the subsequent 20 years to realize that, you know, it, it is a falsehood and to, to get over that, to get over seeking that particular joy because, it's not lasting and it's not real. Um, but it sure felt great, you know? So no wonder it was like the dragon I chased for the rest of my life following that point. 
Do you have any advice for parents with kids that do have extra weight, like to an unhealthy level, you know, unhealthy. I, I believe in health at every size, but let's say yeah. that this child cannot play and like they need to lose weight for their own, you know, benefits or whatever. What kind of advice do you have for parents so that they don't make these mistakes? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the idea of, of health and weight is more and more it, it, that's become even a bigger a bigger conversation I think uh, these days the idea that like there there is no such thing as being a chubby kid and being a healthy active kid and I think you know I think we obviously know that there is uh, some deep deep misunderstanding going mm-hmm. on there at the very least and probably underneath that of course there's you know it's prejudicial so I think you know the most important thing is to is to emphasize what we were talking about that that health of every size message which is just like think about doing the things you want to do and and engaging in the activities you want to engage in and creating you know fostering a sort of enjoyment of healthy healthy activity and and healthy eating um in a way that doesn't that isn't like punishing that isn't like we're trying to fix a problem you know that that to me is i think the biggest change around um, thinking about nutrition and thinking about exercise because before it was all tied to weight and it was all something that was like my body is a problem to be fixed and that was the lens through which I ate everything and that was the lens through which I exercised. Not a perfect metaphor but you get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I think probably emphasizing you know the difference between being like a gym junkie who's obsessed with the you know the calorie count on the elliptical machine and somebody who's an active person who, you know, enjoys finding an activity that you actually enjoy doing, a way that you enjoy moving your body. Um, you know, that that's something that you could that you can emphasize as a parent, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And same said. same thing with, with eating. I mean, I think, you know, when you are actually eating in a healthy in a healthy and a mindful way, mindful eating is a big part of it and that's a big struggle and I can't even imagine how much harder <laughs> it must be for a kid. Mm-hmm. Um then then it's not as if you're, you know, forcing yourself to eat your vegetables. It's not as if you're forcing yourself not to eat, you know, an entire birthday cake. You you learn pretty quickly once you eat the entire birthday cake that it doesn't feel great and that eating um perhaps a slice or two of cake feels a lot feels a lot better. So it's not something that I think you have to you have to sort of fret over so much as approach as as opposed to just sort of you know, share share that sort of simple joy with your kid and model that for them. Mm-hmm. And to add to that, I think another important component that people don't often think about is the control issue mm. and like instilling in your children the uh, belief that they're not in control of everything and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's good to surrender. And I'm saying this because I'm thinking about uh, something kind of similar between me and you and, and the there was a part in your book you're talking about how you feared danger, like natural disasters, and you'd go yeah. or you go around, I think, um, checking stove tops mm-hmm. and, sure. and doors locked. OK, so I did that as well. And I have memories. I don't know if I've I have not said this on my podcast. Yeah, so this would be cool. But I have memories of going around upstairs like loosening every single um faucet tightening loosening 
tightening, like whatever, going around every door, unlocking, locking, unlocking, locking. And I also had this other very strange quirk, like OCD behavior where if there were outlets on the wall, which, you know, every wall pretty much has an outlet. If I saw it and I was walking past it, then I would have, I like pretended in my mind that there was like this invisible line like coming out of the outlet and I had to like walk over it I could never walk past an outlet I would like walk over it and I'm like eight years old and none of my food can touch I am like nervous about the doors locking and my parents were like what a good kid she is like making sure that the doors are locked she's like making sure there's no faucets running and she's eating all of her food and little segments like wow that's just she's just organized and on top of it but for me looking back I'm like wow no wonder I had such anal like strict calorie counting rules for myself wanting to be in control always in control and like fearing whatever Mm -hmm. the unknown so for you does that go back to that need to control or need to yeah yeah I mean obviously that's something that I you know I still deal with um uh, with the with the the old OCD thing, um, which you know comes comes and goes, or becomes more um, prominent in my life at, at different times, but it's something that I think even even understanding that that very impulse and that very part of my mind is not something I can control has made it all the more easy to live with, um, and I think yeah, it, probably. You know, when you're when you're talking to when you're dealing with this with kids, you know, d- certainly certainly don't react as if they're you know behaving strangely. I mean, for me, it was like I think whenever I got caught doing anything like that, like I remember I went through a period of of flinching, like eye eye flinching, and I did it. I was always trying to sort of hide it. And I think in the car one time, my my mom or my babysitter just like looked at me with this look of total disgust and was like, "Are you flinching right now?" And I was like. Uh, you know, you feel busted. Um, and for you, I guess they, you know, they affirmed your behavior as something like you were being organized and stuff like that. And I think um, probably the only thing, the, the best thing to do is is to sort of recognize what's going on. And if it's something that is like, you know, out of out of fear or out of, you know, a desperate need to control, you know, I guess doing whatever you can to, to let your kid know that, you know, they're as safe as, as you can possibly make them and and that they're not, you know, that they're not they're not weird or strange and also maybe on the other side not you know pra- praising that behavior to the degree that they're that you're encouraging it i guess try and finding the source of of that behavior uh one way or the other and um you know addressing it within your kid mm-hmm. yeah it's a complicated thing i understand so complicated so as you got older let's talk a little bit about like your high school college years can you give us just some examples of like how you felt towards food and what your relationship with your body looked like as you got a bit older. Oh, um, you know, <laughs> the same, the same, worse, <laughs> just more layers of, of, of crappiness, <laughs> more layers of discomfort and self-hating, more, more, more reasons to dislike myself. I mean, it, it doesn't help that as I got older, I did go from being a basically a totally average sized person and to being a chubby person, to being like a, a, a very visibly overweight person. And, um, 
So it was like, you know, everything I thought about myself was becoming truer and truer as the years went on. And obviously with every sort of failed attempt to lose weight, which always resulted in greater weight gain in the end, um, again, sort of affirmed the idea that it was like the, the, my beliefs about myself, my worst beliefs about myself were true. So it just, yeah, I just came, became more and more panicked and more and more withdrawn and more and more capable of comparing myself to others because I was just, you know, surrounded by new new people and also you know when guys come into the picture or um you know sexuality comes into the picture that's a whole other way to hate yourself and you know so so many things happen with your body in this time and it 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 just was more and more layers of of self-loathing throughout and you know again dotted by these brief periods where I felt okay or I felt like a little bit of relief because I'd started a new diet and I'd lost, you know, those first five pounds and you feel like you're on your way to something. But it was just an ongoing cycle. And then, you know, other things were going on in, in high school and college because, you know, life, life gets more complicated as you get older. But also there was all this stuff going on with my family, as I talk about in the book. And, um, you know, my way of processing those things was was through food, whether it was seriously con- controlling or restricting my food, or binging, 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 and um, a com- or a combination of both. Um, and you know, it, it, I can understand. I have sympathy for myself with those coping mechanisms. Um, but that's really that's really what it was. That's really what it became. Was just a way to cope with the reality of everything that was going on um, around me. In addition to trying to solve the ongoing problem that was my, you know, pant size. Mm-hmm. What did dating look like when you were going through this? Uh, it didn't happen mm-hmm. <laughs> at all. I didn't start dating until my, I guess, mid to late 20s, really. I just didn't do it. It didn't feel like I was a part of that world. It felt like, well, that's something you just, obviously, you can't do that until you reach a you know, until, until you're all better, until you're fixed. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, you know, so, so I didn't, I didn't really engage at all in that, in that, um, in that part of life. And, you know, there was obviously other elements at play there, which I get into into the book, which had to deal with like stuff that happened when I was a kid. And, um, basically there was just a whole lot of reasons for me to stay in my room or later stay in my apartment and just close the door and turn on television and wait and wait to be better. And, you know, that's, that was the sole focus of my life. I think that is in particular a very um, common feeling with people that are, have this weight loss goal that they think is the end all be all is like, I really love dancing, but that's not something I can do at this size or, I really love boys, but that's not what I can go out and chase after at this size. But when I'm thin, I can. And I can't wait for that. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to think about the other ways, the the many ways that, that, you know, body shame and the diet cycle as well prevents you from progressing in anything in your life. And I didn't really fully realize it until I had quit. I was like, oh, my God, I really just like hit the pause button on so many things. Because I was, because I didn't, I really didn't believe that I was capable or good enough to do any of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and and you know, again, I also recognize that underneath that was, you know, fear was was an ex, was an excuse as well. 
because of course I could have done that. And if I had been, you know, somebody who had, if I believed probably what my, I'm sure my friends were telling me to like get out there and date and stuff like that, but I wasn't ready to hear any of that. Um, you know, so again, that was another coping mechanism and another reason for me to just like not engage in life because real life is very scary. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And I I don't know if you know too much about my story, but I used to be a fitness competitor and just running my body like crazy into the ground. And I remember like when I was trying to, trying being the keyword to combine dating and preparing for this fitness show, it was just so much inner turmoil going on thinking for, for me, like being asked out on a date because, you know, I'm super, super lean and mm-hmm. like everyone thinks the point of being lean is to get that admiration from people, to get that, you know, you know, that feeling of, of I'm wanted, like people look up to me from the world. Like that's what I wanted. I mean, I wanted a lot of things. I wanted to be in control. I wanted acceptance. I mm-hmm. wanted all these different things. But one of them was, well, if I get the body of a fitness model, a fitness competitor, then of course I will find the perfect man and mm-hmm. I'll have the perfect life. The irony is that once I finally achieved that, very lean figure the last thing I would I could let myself do was a date because first of all I literally couldn't do it I literally could not get off my meal plan because if it got on my yeah. meal plan I wouldn't have that body anymore yeah and I couldn't have any like drinks so I couldn't really go out and meet people because I lived in Austin at the time so everyone's like let's go get a glass of wine let's go do this let's go do that I couldn't do any of that um next thing I had no calories in my body so I was never like physically ready to like date or be with a man like no energy no drive just no I'm not interested like just so many downsides so many things but mm-hmm. but I think the biggest thing out of all of them is that when I was present with another person, I wasn't present. Like my yeah. mind was, yeah. is he going to ask me if we want to go get food? If we want to go get food, where do we go? Can we go to this place? I know that place has better um, like salt-free chicken. Oh wait, no, they're out of that. Where can I get some fish without any salt or any seasoning? Like, I mean, he's, is he going to think I'm a freak when I get that? Oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm just going to say I'm not hungry. I'm going to go home. We can try this another day. <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly what would go on in my head. I totally get it. The, the like restaurant math and it just like when you throw in like the social, the, the, <laughs> the social discomfort of being on like a first date. I mean, forget it. What, what it's forget it. <laughs> you just, why not just stay home and, and, and make your own food and like, don't worry about, you know, all that, that crazy calculation. How could you possibly engage with another person when you are completely engaged with this far more important thing? I think that was my favorite passage in your book is when you were talking about like that mathematical equation when it comes to Mm -hmm. food. Like if I get a sub and I want to get chips and I won't get the bread, but if I get like this instead, then I can get the bread. If I get a salad, I can have the bread. But if I want to go get like sushi, I can have either, you know, a dessert afterwards and like no, no rice or I can get the rice. And like, it's like we do this in our heads trying Mm -hmm. to make this equation fit perfectly and the funny thing is it's all made up it's all made up none of that is real like we think that chips is better than if we have chips we have to swap it with bread or if we have avocado we can't have you know peanut butter later on in the day like we have to just have one fat of certain particular kind but we make up these rules they do not live anywhere yeah, no, I know. And it's a, it's just it's 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 a way to like feel like you're being good or you're being bad. I mean, it, it, when it comes right down to it, and it's it's a sort of safe knowable structure uh within to to live, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, or at least that's what it became, you know, for me as much as it is also complete torment at times. Mhm. 
Yeah. You know? And I think it's such a huge win. Now I remember, I think you were talking about breakfast. Yeah, like it was eggs. like the brunch, the yes. brunch equation, yeah. Which that <laughs> makes more sense because it was like, oh my gosh, it was just perfect. But that's such a big victory because I've had moments where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get the eggs. I'm going to get yolks too. And I'm going to have toast. And I'm going to have potatoes. And I'm going to get some fruit because I'm really hungry. And it's like, look at this. How awesome is this that I just said, this is what I want. It's what I'm going to have. And I eat it. And that's that. And then I live. I know. And the fact that that really does feel like such a revolutionary moment, I think, speaks to the sort of craziness of the other side, you know, of of what Mm -hmm. we put ourselves through on a daily basis. And, you know, I've heard this before from from many other people that they understand, of course, that, that like restaurant math, you know. So it's not as if everybody is walking around and it, it, eating just like what they want and what they need. And, and it really is sort of like a revolutionary and revelatory thing to do that, to just order what the hell you want to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get so like uh, jealous of my family members who have never entered this world of dieting. Mm-hmm. And like, or at least I don't, I don't think that, I mean, I know them pretty well. I don't think they have, but they just order whatever sounds good. And like one night they can have, I know my dad at least, he'll have just like, a big old plate of, you know, mac and cheese, chili or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then for breakfast, it's of no consequence. Like the next day it's like, well, what do I feel like? Okay. I'm going to have eggs and some fruit and it sounds great. And then lunch, just whatever. And it's like, there's not a constant tally going on. Like, okay, I had some carbs here. I had, I ate out here. Like the tally stuff. I know. And it's so, it's so like both astonishing and also completely obvious when you get into that mode where you're like, oh, you're right. My body does know how to balance itself. If I do eat like a ton of, you know, a a big heavy meal, I'm probably not going to want, you know, a cheeseburger and fries for the next meal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if you have that (laughs) mentality going into it of, I can't, I can't have a cheeseburger later. I can't have a cheeseburger. You can't, yeah. Then you will be like, that's what I want. And it's not really what you want. It's just what your mind's tricking you to say that you want. Yeah, exactly. It's just that that rebellion against against the mm-hmm. restriction, and we take the restriction out of the equation. You just sort of, it, 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 you just eat. You just eat food within the context of eating food, and it's 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 just so great. <laughs> I'm just not over it. It's just so cool. <laughs> so, how do you keep the momentum going with your relationship with food? How do you keep maintaining and growing and progressing that better relationship with food than you had before? I mean, I think mindfulness is a big part of the equation and also probably the the trickiest one to maintain because, you know, our, our day-to-day lives right now are not conducive to the practice of mindfulness by any means. And, you know, as I get into in the book, you know, distraction has been a very big part of my life uh, in many, many, many ways. I'm like the kind of person who has to have headphones on all the time and the television on all the time and noise and something to do and some project and blah, 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 blah. I have to be multitasking. Um, or that's what I'd like to be doing. And to... To, I, I, now I sort of practice not doing those things in many ways and certainly around food that's probably um, the, the biggest most important one because when you when you just sort of take that time even if it's just one meal a day which is what I aim for um, it, it, to, to eat mindfully it's just like it all clicks it's it's just like a reminder it you taste your food more you recognize what's going on when with your hunger and with your fullness in a in a very immediate way. And simply by doing that, which when I say simple, I, I don't mean easy. It's not, it's not easy, but it is simple. You just, you get that, that connection back. You get that, that affirmation back about, 
about what it means to to eat, you know, mm-hmm. to eat and to feed yourself in the way that is satisfying, um, you know, both in terms of like taste and enjoyment and also physically. So that's one thing I do. Um, I do sometimes when I when I struggle uh, with going through periods where I'm not always able to be mindful or where I've been like under stress. Like when I was writing the book, I was under a ton of stress and I was also very sedentary because I was, you know, necessarily at my computer all the time. And um, I felt like... I, I felt like I hadn't been able to focus on intuitive eating practices, and it is. It is sort of a lifelong practice. Um, so when I was finished and when I had the time again, I went back to food to food journaling for a little bit, which was basically just like um, writing, you know, whenever I ate something, I would write just like, you know, the sort of circumstances around it and any sort of judgments or feelings I had about it and if I ate in like a stressful way. And it helped me recognize like, oh, okay, I'm being weird about potatoes again. I guess I should, you know, be a little bit mindful on neutralizing potatoes again, you know? Mm-hmm. And and also the big part of, a big part of this whole thing is recognizing and really, really absorbing the idea that it's not something you're ever going to be done with. You know, with dieting, there's a very clear sort of arc. And with just intuitive eating or not dieting or just eating like a normal person, you're, it, it's just eating. It's just like it just all goes on because you have to eat for the rest of your life. And so when you really absorb that message of it's, it's a journey such kind of thing, it makes it a lot easier to just keep on going because you don't have that sense of like, oh, I backslid or, oh, I failed or, oh, I need to start from scratch. You're just like, nope, I'm just eating this meal and maybe maybe it didn't feel as good or something like that and I'm going to take a look at that and get curious about that. Uh, and, and then you just, you know, you're going to have another meal probably three or four hours from then. Mm-hmm. You just keep on going. Yeah, exactly. It, it can become... If people take it too seriously, it can become a job and it be- can become just as bad as dieting if you yeah. put pressure on yourself to intuitively eat perfect because there is no such thing. There never will be. Intuitive yeah. eating is not like this clean cut, clear, um, like, yeah, track that you ride up and up and up and up. It's just like up and down and up and down. But every time you are confronted with food or a meal, you can make a decision. And even if you eat past the point of fullness like it's okay it's all right like of course be be cool with it like it's fine it that's part of the process you're getting to know yourself and people I mean the thing that people I don't think realize when when you're somebody who's dealt with food issues in the past is like every people without food issues deal with that too Mm -hmm. like everybody has a thing where you accidentally ate you know the entire bag of popcorn at the movies and now you feel disgusting or you had a bad day and you didn't think about it and you ate you know something that made you feel lousy or you got stuck at the airport and you had a gross airport meal and it's like it's 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 just like part of life like that's the thing you have to realize is like eventually you get to this point where you stop thinking of yourself as the problem to be fixed and just like a person who's eating lunch Mm -hmm. does that make sense totally i love it so i think we're coming up on the air here but we do have a quick fire round great and i'm excited about it Okay. But before we go over there, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yes. Um, so my column, The Anti-Diet Project, runs on Mondays on Refinery29. Um, it goes up every Monday morning. And um, my book, Big Girl, is out everywhere. It's on all the usual places. You can find um, you know, sort of quick and easy links uh, to, to different uh, booksellers on my website, KelseyMiller.com. Uh, you can find me on... Instagram and Twitter at Ms. Kelsey Miller. That's Ms. Kelsey Miller. 
And uh, I'm on Facebook, too. I got, like, a, a little Facebook thing going now that I'm trying to, to ramp up. So come say hi. Um, I do respond to, to messages if you ever want to message me. I do I do get people who write me and think, and at the end of their letters, they say, like, oh, I know you're not actually going to read this. Mm-hmm. I do. I totally do. Yeah. I think that's great. I love it. All right. Now, the quick fire round. Number one, yeah. what does body freedom mean to you? Uh, oh, my God. When you said fire round, of course, my brain is like going on lockdown. Um, body freedom <laughs> means to me uh, accepting myself even on days when I don't like it. Mm, perfect. What is a must-read book? Mm, must-read book is How to Disappear Completely by Kelsey Osgood. If you could interview anybody in the world, who would it be? Mm. <laughs> I'm totally failing this. Um, Amy Sedaris. Amy Sedaris. What is a future dream that you're working towards? Another book. Oh, sweet. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, best movie that you've watched in the past month? Romeo and Juliet, the 1996 version. 19- is that the one with Leonardo? oh yeah okay yeah i love that one uh favorite way to unwind at the end of a long day my big giant bathtub Mm. and lying on the couch and being very quiet (laughs) (laughs) um what is a country you have visited and you've loved it or a country you really want to visit i loved poland i loved krakow um and a country i'd really want to visit um uh, I think I'd, I'd like to see uh, Russia, I think. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. They have my favorite accents. I'm a big fan of um, Imperial Russian history. I mean, I know that they, you know, didn't do awesome things for the people and stuff like that, but I just like to read it. I'm very curious about it. I took a Russian sci-fi film and literature class Ooh, boy. in college. Yeah, but I loved it. It was so intriguing, like being able to read all of like their very new agey stuff way back when. Yeah. And they're just a very – I love the culture. I would love to learn more about it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Very interesting stuff going on there. Currently, what's your favorite meal? Mm, currently, my favorite meal is oh, eggs on toast. I'm pretty basic. I like eggs on toast. Yeah, I think a, a few people on this podcast have said blank on toast. I think we're all like major toast people. It's just good. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so glad that toast is like on trend now. It just it just deserves it deserves all the praise that it gets. I'm going to attribute that and thank avocados for that because yeah. I think they've they're bringing back the toast. They really are. They are. But like, I also love like, oh my God, like a mushroom toast. I've started doing this with my, with my boyfriend because it's like we get home at the end of the day and nobody wants to make like a giant pot, you know, of stew or something. Except mm-hmm. some days when you're feeling ambitious and I'm like, what are we going to put on toast tonight? <laughs> it's so easy. It's so fun. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Last question. If you could challenge everyone listening to this to let go of something, what would that be? Mm. It's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. But... I would say to let go of com- of the compare comparison, comparing yourself to, to others. I mean, I think every all of us could, could take that challenge. I could certainly take that challenge too. How about that? Mm-hmm. If you take it, I'll do it too. I'll do it. I'll do so, it. I'm in. 
I love it. All right, Kelsey. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been such a treat. I've been looking forward to talking with you since I got this book and well, before that, and it, it just, it blew my mind. It definitely exceeded my expectations. So thank you for coming on and sharing all your insight and knowledge with the audience. Thank you. This was a blast. All right, everybody, be sure to go to the show notes at maddiemoon.com slash mbm90 because this is episode 90. And you can get her social links. I'll have a link there to get her book. And yeah, just make sure you check that out. Um, I am off to Thailand tomorrow, so I will be still posting up some podcasts. Don't worry, but I'll be in Thailand as y'all listen to them. So if I'm not super uh, responsive, you know, coming up, then that's probably why. But I'm excited to get back and record some more episodes and I'll see you guys later.